all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, we are live today and it's good to be back. We've had a lot of stuff. I was out a couple of weeks and then uh, we had... uh, uh, a lot of things in the news, which uh, always grateful that uh, MPB breaks through with uh, the uh, the most recent news that's uh, that's going on. But uh, I have missed all of our listeners and all of our questions, and uh, glad to be back today. We are live taking your questions about any health concerns that you might have. So give us a call this morning. I wanted you to go ahead and load up our board right now by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you can't get to the phones right now, you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Um, yeah, so you should have a full month's worth of questions for Dr. Jimmy here for me uh, this morning. So I expect to have a lot of people call in. So don't wait. Go ahead and do that um, uh, while we're uh, uh, while you're waiting this morning for that. A uh, lot of stuff in the news. Uh, not all political. There's a lot of things. Uh, I just heard one uh, in the national news about. Uh, you know, some supplements for infertility. Testosterone replacement has gotten to be a big thing that we see uh, in men. And it's uh, certainly the evidence has gone a lot of different ways with that about whether it's effective. Uh, normal testosterone levels do go down as you age, starting at about age 30 for men. And uh, by age 60, about 20% of the population, of the male population, uh, has levels that are uh, below sort of the normal cutoff. Um, A lot of these men will be asymptomatic, meaning they don't have any kind of symptoms or problems with anything. A lot of them do, though. And um, testosterone replacement in the past has been used for a lot of different symptoms. And those can be sort of mild, vague symptoms like weakness or fatigue or maybe just not having the... Uh, you know, the energy that you used to have, uh, it's been used, of course, to uh, build muscle mass and um, uh, and also for impotence uh, is another one or erectile dysfunction. Uh, there was a recent study that looked at this in retrospect and prospectively in a couple of studies just to see what's actually beneficial because we do know that testosterone replacement is not without side effects. There's certainly a lot of side effects with raising blood pressure, with raising your red cell count, and it can increase your risk for cardiovascular disease over time. Uh, so in this uh, look at the data that's out there, it seems like, uh, and this is a, a recommendation based on the data by the American College of Physicians, uh, they recommended testosterone replacement only for those men who have symptomatic complaints of erectile dysfunction or impotence. For um, for everybody else that has other symptoms and low levels, even if they have a low level, if they don't have those uh, that symptom in particular, it's not recommended that that uh, you replace that. So something to think about if your physician does or your healthcare provider does say, hey, I think you need to take some testosterone, ask them why. Why is always a good question. Um, and again, uh, the most recent information, uh, the risk sort of outweighs the benefit for those other things. And you don't really see a lot of benefit outside um, outside that one symptomatic complaint. This is Southern Remedy. Uh, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. You can reach us by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Kay in Memphis. Good morning, Kay. 
Good morning. I called early to make sure I got in this time. I am glad you called early, Kay. So that is a good example for the rest of our listeners. So a lot of times we will uh, unfortunately have to you know, rush things at the end of our program because we are limited by time. Uh, but uh, a lot of people don't are a little bit scared to call in early, but uh, I'm glad you went ahead and did that. Well, I have, I have you in my phone, so all I have to do is push a button. Kay's got me on speed dial. Yeah, I'm sure to do. The main thing I want to ask you about, I I think you remember I'm a no-retired medical social worker with years of experience in clinic hospitals and three years at Tulane Medical School, so I know a good bit about medicine. So anyway, uh, recently my blood pressure has been shooting up to 190. Oh, goodness. for, For no obvious reason, and I have been to the emergency room here three times, the second time they did a bang up good job. They did a complete workup on me, and I don't know that they found anything. But they did two different CT scans, and they they really did a work work over. But by, when I went to my cardiologist, he had not gotten the report. They told me that they would send it over to him. So I went in there, and I had been hustling, you know, to get ready to get to my appointment because somebody was going. I'll take me. I don't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they took my blood pressure, and he's 190. And he got all upset about it, and he said, how would you feel about going over? His office is just across the side street from the hospital. How would you feel about going over there and, and having them check this out? I said, uh-huh, you didn't get the report. I've been over there three times with 190 <laughs> blood pressure. So now, do you have any thoughts about why my blood pressure is doing that? And, Kay, by my recollection beforehand, your blood pressure was pretty well controlled before this. Yes, it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, so elevations like that, um, a lot of times you can sort of be a detective about it and, and get to the bottom of it. Certainly it sounds like they did a lot of testing on you to see if there was another reason why it might be high. Uh, what you eat sometimes can do that. Um, okay. uh, you know, I, I watch. I watch my diet very carefully. I knew that about you, Kay. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, but I wanted to give you the benefit of a doubt because we have had okay. a couple of holidays, though. A lot, yeah, of, well, lot of people eat, and, and, and you have listeners. <laughs> so I learn a lot. I learn a lot just listening to what you tell other other patients. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I would say this. Uh, so a lot of patients that, particularly if you've been doing well with your blood pressure, and then all of a sudden it goes up like that, and it's sustained. That's important because you, you can have no, elevated. It comes. It comes down. Yeah. So so a, a problem sometimes as you get older is. The normal receptors, particularly the receptors in your neck and your what's called the carotid body, that they can uh, they can sort of be impaired in the way that they regulate blood pressure, and you can have these wide fluctuations sometimes if they're not working just right. They would not be ordinarily picked up on tests like that, like a CT scan or a test that you could get in the emergency room. Um, but if if that's you know if there's you need is really a cardiologist that understands that to sort of test for that, and they can do some other testing, too, on well, a tilt table. My doctor is a cardiologist. He's an assistant professor at the uh, UT Medical Complex, and he, you know, you know what right. you know what a person with that status oh, does. Yeah. That, if they, and, and, but, but he has a clinic, but now he only has a half-day clinic five days a week, and he has three here in Memphis and two in the outskirts. So, um, yeah. So um, it sounds like they would they would know what to do in further testing. Um, sometimes you have to sort of ride the fence. In other words, you don't want to, to increase blood pressure medications to the point where when your blood pressure fluctuates down low, that it's going to get too low because you could have, you know, stroke and lots of other problems, falls, break something. But you also don't well, want it high. Yeah, well, now the only the only medication I take that affects my blood pressure is my Carvilol, and I was taking uh, six point five once a day, and he switched it to divided, you know, um, one in the morning and one in the in the afternoon. Yeah, so I'm not on any other yeah. medicine for my blood pressure, but despite that, it still does that. Now, I, when I was in the office, I said he was he was excited. I said, just let me sit here for a while. Yeah. And it'll go down. And so they brought me a Coke and some uh, um, peanut butter crackers. And I sat there for about 
15 or 20 minutes, and they came in and checked, and it was down to 172. Yeah. So and, and I that's, said, you know, it, it will go down on yeah. its own without any medication. Right. And anxiety, any type of situation that increases your anxiety level, uh, you can expect that. Now, what he did was something called chronotherapy. So a lot of times we'll split that up and help the body sort of regulate it out at different times of the day. Normally, we just try to, to stick to medications we can do once a day. But in your case, particularly if it's fluctuating, Doing that, uh, they may have to even, you know, further investigate it. Everything you've told me, Kay, is right on the money with what I would suggest. It's, it's difficult sometimes to figure out why, and the, the treatment of it sometimes is splitting up medications like that, maybe even adding something to what you're taking so that you can get a nice balance of blood pressure. It may not be 120 over 80. It's probably not in this case. It's probably going to oh, have no, to be no, somewhere a little usually, bit higher than that. Mine usually stays in the 130s over yeah. Over, it hardly ever goes over 85. Yeah, but I, that's what I would do, Kay. I would stick to that regimen, and it sounds like you're on the right path about well, I, doing that. I have, an, excuse me, I have an appointment with him when he gets back. He's on two weeks vacation. Yeah, that's and, about uh, right, which, too, because a lot of people, deserves. once you change the blood pressure medication, you have to give it time to, to sort of stabilize, and that's not a couple of days. That's usually at least a few weeks. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll, we'll get back on it whenever he... Whenever he gets back, and, right, and, and when he gets a report from over at the hospital, <laughs> yeah, he is so busy, he, and he, they're they're closed for two weeks over yep. the holidays. So I have an appointment. All right, Kay. Back. Well, well, okay, good thanks. luck to you, and thank you for calling. Oh yeah, well, thank you for all your advice. And yes, help, ma'am. And I will continue to listen to you until you sign off because oh. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'll tell you, when I would go into the appointment, I was this doctor with another one. I would always stop by and get some medical journal because I'd bust that they didn't have any medical journals in the waiting room. And they kept a medical journal for me to get so I could read while I was waiting. That's that's <laughs> good things to read. All right, Kay, yeah, okay, you right. take care. Thanks. All right, this is Southern Remedy. you got Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, and uh, plenty of time for you to call in, just like Kay did, uh, with your questions or comments. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to Patricia from Brandon. This is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you live today. That's right, a live program. It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, but uh, we are here for you this morning to receive your calls or your questions about different things. Uh, that can include any and all subjects that you might be interested in. The number to reach us live this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Patricia from Brandon. Good morning, Patricia. Hello. Thanks for calling. Thank you for taking the call. Sure. My short question was... Uh, 
I may have left uh, the scene of the talk to dial you before uh, Kay told us what her diastolic pressure was. That's what I kept waiting to hear because, of course, the diastolic uh, is the one that we worry so much about a stroke uh, more than the than the than the systolic. So did she ever tell us what her diastolic was? She did not. But let me correct a little bit of misinformation that you might have. So it's not just the diastolic. Uh, both of those numbers oh, are... Of Im- course not. Right. Mm-hmm. So both of those numbers are important. And uh, both of those are... In, in, you know, strokes... There's different categories of strokes. The, the most common uh, category is not one where you sort of blow the top off the artery and you bleed in your brain. The, the most common one is when you have a clogged artery in the, bla- in the brain and it decreases blood flow. Uh, blood pressure does go up with a stroke um, because your, your brain is trying to regulate the amount of blood flow. It'd be like if you were watering your grass and you had a kink in your hose, the way to cut, to sort of overcome that and have the same amount of water come out is if you could increase the pressure to that hose. And that's what your brain does. It signals the rest of the body to say, hey, I don't care what the blood pressure is. Jack it up so that I can get enough blood flow. Um, over time, both of those numbers, the systolic, which is the top number, and the diastolic can cause damage to blood vessels throughout the body, but in particular the brain and the heart and the kidney, and those damages over time could increase the risk of those closing up. So uh, that's that's something because years ago, that's what we said. Like if you could go back to the what physicians, what we said back in the this is before I you know trained, but basically in the seventies and sixties, even they said you don't really have to worry about the top number because as you get older, that top number goes up. No, it's no, the no, no. it's the bottom that. number. But now we know it's both of those. Uh, it is more common for the top number to go up as you get older. That just has to do with the stiffness, the the, the uh, compliance of those vessels or the flexibility of those vessels. Um, so there's not like a magic number. Um, most people who have strokes have normal blood pressures when they present. Um, and there's not like an absolute number where any time over that, you know, it's a it's stroke related. Um, I have patients and, and I'm a little different because I do, you know, I have patients that have had difficulty controlling their blood pressure come to see me just for, for hypertension. And a lot of times I'll have patients come in with blood pressures of 200 over a hundred and they're walking around. They don't have any symptoms. They're just fine. They don't even know their blood pressure is that high. Now we still try That's to control right. it. It's a silent killer, isn't it? Exactly. You are exactly right. Yeah, so, but my, uh, my question is, you know, if we knew what her diastolic was, uh, there are different medications, of course, for, you know, if your top number or your bottom number, as, uh, you know, we used to say, uh, there are different medications uh and combinations of questions. Anyway, that was just my my question. I just kept waiting for her to tell us what her uh, diastolic was. But that's it. Thank you so much. Oh I yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, that's a, and that's a common question that we have. So I appreciate you calling about that. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of different medications that we use. You know, chronically, of course, to uh, to treat high blood pressure and. There's not any one that just lowers the top number or the bottom number. I wish there was because that could be useful, but there's not. And there are a, a lot of medications that we don't use in the clinic that we do use, say, in the ER. And a lot of those are IV medications. So there's uh, calcium channel blockers. There is uh, alpha blockers that uh, work in different ways. And a lot of times you'll give that to sort of titrate the blood pressure a little bit better, particularly if it's an IV. So if it's an IV, we can really dial it really closely and say, okay, I'm on, I want the blood pressure in this range uh, and, and try to do that in a controlled fashion. But can't do that in an outpatient setting. So there's certainly different blood pressure medications that we use in emergencies and in the ICU uh, to help with blood pressure uh, uh, regulation and control. But uh, really complex. Uh, that's why I like it, because there's lots of different things to challenge us with. But um, certainly any blood pressure that's elevated enough over time can have a risk of a stroke. So we definitely want to decrease that. 
All right, we're going to go to Michelle in Jackson, who's uh, been holding on the line. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good. Go ahead. What's your question? My question is, um, I don't know if if I need to go in and get checked uh, for arthritis. I'm um, I'm 39 years old, female. Um, I recently started this new job. Uh, I've been here for about three months. Uh, the job does consist of a lot of um, lifting and bending. Um, so, but I try to, you know, bend properly at the knees and lift properly. Well, within the last two to three weeks, um, my knees are starting to ache. Um, but they don't ache while I'm at work. They only ache when I get off of work and go home and I'm sitting on the couch and uh, from laying in the bed at night. At night, it's at the worst. Um, so I start to monitor, you know, monitor it. So I'm like, okay, so it only happens this time. So then I start noticing at night, well, I like to sleep um, in like a fetal position. Mm-hmm. So when I do that, it's like, oh, it just brings it on worse. So now throughout the night, I don't sleep much because I'm constantly... Because the pain wakes me up, and so I'm constantly reminding myself to lay straight on my back, and that'll kind of ease the pain, you know, of mm-hmm. my leg. Mm-hmm. And so it'll start the knees, and then it'll go down the whole leg. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in the knees, it feel like somebody hit me in my knees with a bat. It's just like that type of pain, like, like a, it's a dull ache. And so I don't know, I'm like, uh, can I have arthritis in my knees, or is it the job? Um, I've been online Googling all kinds of stuff, you know, to try to, like, my legs so that I can get some type of relief. But I do know when I bend my knees, even if I'm on the couch, and you know how you cuddle up? Right. It makes it worse. Okay. Uh, So the knee, uh, I think you need a little bit, you need somebody to put some hands on that knee and to look at it and to get a good exam. Because there's a there's a at least twenty different things that could be going on with your knee. Now I will say it's probably less likely to be arthritis related. Um, Thirty nine. Uh, there's you know there's two big categories of arthritis. There's the wear and tear arthritis, and that's osteoarthritis. Okay. Y- usually we'll get this um, you know in our late forties, uh, the earliest maybe fifties. And, but it usually is from doing repetitive things over and over and over again. The most common joint is the thumb, actually. A lot of people in their 40s will start to get a little bit of pain in that thumb where it attaches to the wrist. And that's because we use our thumbs a lot. Uh, yeah. Certainly, you could get arthritis earlier if you have had a previous injury to that uh, joint. Uh, oh, okay. Or if you're overweight or, you know, there's lots of other risk factors for that that have put increased stress on that joint. But okay. 39 is a little bit, I, I've seen it, but uh, that may be less likely. The okay. uh, other category of arthritis is autoimmune arthritis. I don't think you have this because the symptoms don't quite go along with that. That's usually something that you wake up with. It takes you time to get going. Uh, okay. You can sort of work it out as you as you go throughout the day. I think you probably have, you with the new job, it probably is something to do with the way that your knees are naturally aligned and the muscles and the way that you're doing things, even though it sounds like you're doing it exactly like you should with bending down at the knees. You need somebody, number one, to make sure your knees are stable, they're not unstable, unstable, and that your muscles are aligned and everything right. And then they may send you, if everything looks okay, physical therapy is probably the best thing that's going to be for you. And that's because... You can strengthen up any kind of weakness that you might have in those knees so that the muscles can help take the burden off those joints. Uh, okay. And I think that's probably what's going on. This is common. You know, somebody has a new job or something that they're doing, or maybe they're saying, hey, I'm going to try a new sport or yeah. go out and walk more. And uh, you you ha- start to have sort of overuse syndromes. Uh, and that's an easy fix. But you, first thing is you need somebody who knows what they're doing to look at that knee and do a, a proper joint exam on the knee. Knee's a complex joint, even though it just goes back and forth. There's a lot of problems. It doesn't surprise me that it hurts worse when you put it in that position on the couch or as you're sleeping because you're probably putting a little bit of pressure either on the tendons there 
or the joint space itself. So, uh, but they can, they're going to bend you all over the place, hopefully not in a pretzel on that exam table, and get to the bottom of what's going on. Maybe okay. do some lab work, but it doesn't sound like this is the inflammatory type. I bet they could sort of get by with just doing that and then maybe sending you to physical therapy with a prescription to do some specific exercises. Okay. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Thanks for calling in. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I've got an email from uh, a listener. It says, I have a fingernail that has separated and won't come back. Is there anything that I can do myself? So our fingernails and toenails are sort of like hair. So those are uh, part of our skin, of our integument. They're just uh, a little bit different cells in there that uh, have those different consistencies. Uh, And our fingernails and toenails in particular, a lot of things can happen at that nail bed. So right where they attach, right where they disappear back down into the finger, not at the tip, but at at the nail bed itself, uh, that's the cells that actually make that hard material, that keratin that's uh, that's uh, part of the nail. Anything that happens once those and it and it makes those cells continuously. Uh, so it you know most of the time most people's nails grow at about one to two millimeters a day. So it's not a lot of growth. They can grow a little bit faster or slower in different times. Let's say something happens to that nail bed on a certain time period. Maybe you've had a prolonged illness for a couple of weeks. Maybe you've had chemotherapy, uh, you know, whatever happened. Or you had physical damage, like you dropped something on that nail. Maybe there was an infection at the nail bed. Uh, Fungal infections can do that. Well, that that nail that gets uh, developed during that time in that nail bed it's not going to be normal. So it may be misshapen. You may have a line that goes through your nails horizontally or vertically along that nail bed. Uh, it sort of tells the picture. That's why physicians, a lot of times, they'll look at your nails. They'll take your hand. I'll do this sometimes and actually look at the nail bed to sort of see what happened over time. Uh, so it could be, in this case, that the nail was probably damaged at the nail bed in such a way that it fell off. 90 plus percent of the time that's going to grow back. It does take time, again, one to two millimeters a day. But if it's been longer than that, you are unlikely, unless there's an ongoing infection there that just hasn't been treated, uh, you're unlikely to get that nail back. Now, in the case of fungal infections, they're a little bit different because they are slow-growing infections. Fungus is very common. Uh, you have to take that medication most of the time by mouth. The over-the-counter stuff doesn't work unless it's really mild. Uh, and But if it's to this point where you've actually lost the nail, you're probably going to need a medication by mouth if it's fungal. Uh, it may be a little bit hard to do that at this point. You may even want to see a dermatologist to get that definitive diagnosis. There are a couple of uh, things, though, to also keep in mind, particularly if there was a dark spot there, you definitely need to see uh, now you've lost the nail or maybe that dark spot at the nail bed has spread. Uh, see the dermatologist because it's rare, but you can have some uh, skin cancers that actually develop at the nail bed. But I, I bet this, I don't know the, the person's age that emailed this, but most common thing would be something that happened to that nail bed. And it might come back, but if it's been, you know, a couple of weeks to a month, you're probably not going to get that back. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we come back, plenty of time for your calls. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. MPB Think Radio Podcast.
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy live with you today. I know we've had about a month off, and uh, I'm glad to be back, and uh, I miss everybody. It's nice to have a a week or two off here for the holidays, but uh, did some traveling, saw some family. Um, But, um, you know, it's really, uh, I miss y'all, and uh, certainly it's uh, nice to be back, and uh, great calls this morning. Got plenty of time for you to call in if you've got a question about something, maybe it's a symptom uh, like our previous caller had with her fingernail or email her had with her female uh, fingernail, or maybe it's something else that you just uh, have a, a, a question about uh, or a comment about something. Uh, maybe you have something to add to the conversation. We always like that. We always learn from each other from a larger conversation of our listeners. So the number to call if you would like to call in this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always email us. You can send that email to uh, remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going to go to John in Jackson. Good morning, John. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. I love your show. Uh, listen. I've been smoking uh, not that long, probably maybe six years, and of those six, I've probably been quit two years. And I started back uh, about a year and a half ago, about a pack a day, and I I think I'd really like to just quit. I wonder what you'd recommend. How how long have you been smoking? About six years. Okay. All right. And you've tried before, you said, right? Yeah, and I was doing great, and... uh, well, I tell it about myself. Uh, I broke up with, I thought, the love of my life, and to get her back, I started smoking again. I really hurt her. <laughs> ah, gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so smoking is one of the most addictive things. Uh, you, you, I encourage everybody, unless unless you've got, a, you know, a history of, of doing things and you want to try to just do it cold turkey, that's fine. But uh, it is really hard to do that for most people, and it's just because of the substance. I mean, different things are harder to do, uh, you know, with like that. Uh, one of the best ways is there's some good pharmacologic ways to do it, but uh, you can also set a date uh, is, a, is a good thing. Set a date when you're not going to have, as you mentioned, other things that are going to cause you to smoke because – if you smoke, you're going to smoke more at times. It's going to be harder for you to quit if there's increased stress in your life. If there are changes, say you're changing a job, moving out of a house, uh, your kid's going to college, all, all those things are not a good time to smoke uh, or to quit smoking, rather. Um, so pick a date that's uh, you know sort of stable as best you can tell in the future, maybe 30 days ahead of when you want to quit. And then I, I would talk to, there's a great resource uh, called uh, 1-800-QUIT-NOW, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. So if you call that number, uh, they can provide you a lot of resources. Certainly there are a lot of medications that are very effective. Some of them have more side effects than others. I still use a lot of Chantix. I know some people have some concerns over how it makes you uh, you know, feel or, or the mood with it and some vivid dreams, but I still use that. It's It's pretty effective. There are other medications. There are some medications uh, used for anxiety and depression. Wellbutrin is one of them that uh, that can certainly help. Uh, and then there's nicotine replacement, and that can be in different ways, either a patch uh, or a, a gum method, and you can sort of wean yourself off of that nicotine level uh, rather than going cold turkey, particularly if you've been smoking for as long as you have. So it is doable. You know, it's like any other addiction. If you look at the addiction literature, it's people, places, and things. 
Uh, you know, if if the love of your life or your friends, if they're smoking too around you all the time, it's going to be a little bit harder. You can still do it. Um, places that you do it, the trigger points, when do you smoke? Is it all the time or is it just like, okay, normally at this point in the day I'd have a cigarette? Um, think about those things and remove those opportunities. People are some people are you know concerned about gaining weight when they quit smoking. It's mainly those behavioral changes, like they want to put something in their mouth, and if it's not a cigarette, it's food. Uh, but you can you can sort of substitute that with other things. But that would be my guidelines for you. But again, one eight hundred quit now. That is that is a good resource. Uh, they have a lot of stuff that they can give you. They can give you some rebates on a lot of the medications. A lot of insurance companies now will pay for that, though, uh, because in the long run, it's going to be a lot cheaper if you can quit smoking now. Sounds good. Uh, uh, I, 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 I'm also going to talk to my psychiatrist. I take uh, depression meds, and I want to make sure I don't if I do pharmacological however you say it, pharmacological. I don't want it to interfere with what I'm already taking. That's super smart. Yeah, you definitely need to do that. And there may be, they, they may can do something, you know, your psychiatrist even may can do something to modify that a little bit to help out with the smoking right now. But, yeah, definitely talk to them about that. All right, thank you, man. All right, thank you for calling. Yeah, man, that's a great plug for, uh, hey, New Year's resolution that is a great one, uh, whether it's a resolution or not. Do it smart, though. Most people think, you know what, this is the time I can do it all by myself. Get help because it is hard. It's harder, you know, smoking and weight loss. Those are probably if the, the most modifiable things that we can do to improve our health. Those two things are incredibly difficult. Actually, weight loss is statistically uh, harder to do that and sustain that weight loss than smoking for most people. Uh, just because of all the behavioral modifications. You know, you can quit smoking and never smoke again, and it's okay. You can't quit eating and uh, and never eat again. So you have to, you know, it's a little bit different. But uh, thank goodness we have a lot of resources from smoking uh, cessation, uh, and it's certainly something that you can that you can do. There's also support groups that you can, um, you know, you can tap into, but really it's part of addiction. It's addiction medication. We don't like to think of it in the same way that you would say alcohol or drug addiction, but it it's the brain is programmed with those substances, particularly with nicotine to really, um, you know, to really clue in on how you feel about that. That's why that nicotine replacement therapy can be so powerful just because you're giving your body small amounts set to sort of wean off over time. All right, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you live this morning. You can reach us by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or if you would like to send us an email you're always welcome to send one to remedy at mpbonline.org we do look at those regularly and we try to answer that uh, not just on the air but we like to answer that personally back to the person who sent it uh, but from time to time uh, we do like to receive those because uh, when we can't be here live that's a lot of things that we can talk about and share with our audience uh, so that it can help them too I get this question a lot about job stress, and uh, there's a recent article uh, uh, today <clears throat> about uh, job stress and uh, and other things that might contribute uh, to cardiovascular risk. And by cardiovascular, I just mean uh, heart attack, stroke, peripheral arterial disease, uh, all those things sort of get lumped together. And uh, in looking at that, you know, my patients are like, is my job causing me to have a heart attack when I get over. Well, uh, it's hard to to structure a study that uh, takes all those things into consideration because it's hard to measure stress. Stress is different. Now, you can put some people in really uh, high turnover environments, high process environments, and they do just fine. Uh, air traffic controllers, that would be a good, you know, high risk uh, they have to be very precise in what they do. Uh, some people go into that and, and they're like, oh, this is terrible. And, I, I, you know, they do have a high risk of, of a heart attack. Other people thrive in that. So it is specific to the person. But uh, there was an analysis, and this was not in the U.S. It was in an, uh, another was a European country, I believe Denmark. Uh, but they looked at middle-aged adults uh, across the country, and they looked at their jobs and uh, their, the, whether or not they develop cardiovascular disease or diabetes, which has also been associated with uh, 
increase um, uh, cardiovascular risk. And they really saw the same thing that was pretty consistent. So when you account for income and job strain, the higher risk individuals, those who are more likely to develop a heart attack or stroke, uh, those who had a low educational level, um, they um, they had the higher risk. Everybody had a little bit higher risk, but particularly if you had a low education level, which is why education is so important. Important, and they don't really have a good cause and effect for this. But if you think about it, um, it does give you a lot of tools, a lot of skill set to um, to deal with increased stress at work. Certainly, it doesn't make you immune. We've got plenty of doctors, lawyers that are highly educated and. Hey, doctors, we're one of the worst. Like, we're going to have increased risk of heart attack and stroke um, because, you know what? We don't practice what we preach a lot of times, so we we're, we're, need to be better examples in that across the board. Uh, but that certainly can reduce that uh, risk. And here's what I tell my patients if they say, hey, is my, my job's really stressful. I say, well, what are your options? Uh, if you do have an option of, of another job that you think that you would – have more joy out of that and have, uh, you know, some some uh, self-worth and meaning in what you do, uh, certainly look for those options. If you can't, find something that's going to make your job easier and more manageable. And maybe that's a work schedule. Maybe that's some other tools. Maybe that's some education that your employer can give you. Uh, but having those resources is going to make it easier for you to get through that day. Um, and I understand some people are just sort of stuck in that and they don't really have a lot of options, but at least look at that. Uh, and then also to maximize what you do outside of work uh, to make sure that you're enjoying yourself. You know, you can be so exhausted that you come home, but if you don't have something at the end of your day where you reflect on that or you, you know, get out and do something with the kids or with your wife uh, or husband, and uh, it's just it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you. This is Southern Remedy. We're going to take uh, one an, another break here, and uh, got plenty of time for you to slide a question or two in. Call us this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning. Good to be back after a hiatus of about a month. Um... Lots of good stuff, though, going on with the holidays. Hope you had a great holiday season and a happy new year. It's uh, going to be a little bit of a uh, adjustment. It always is for me because I use dates a lot and things I have to sign uh, for that 2020. Uh, good advice somebody gave me. You know, sometimes you'll abbreviate that. We've had certainly an opportunity to do that with 2018, 19, 
and it's easy to just put that 18 or 19 out there. Do keep in mind, if you put 20, somebody could come behind you and uh, change that to 2018, 2019. Who knows what kind of dates they could put in there the whole decade. So go ahead and complete that out. That's something I've been trying to do on everything that I've been signing. Let's go to Travis in Macomb. Good morning, Travis. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Well, I have a, a close friend of mine that is uh, uh, in the process in the next couple of months going to be replacing his hearing aid. Okay. And uh, uh, he may be somewhat limited because of what uh, payment will provide for, but I know the technology has changed considerably with family members that have gotten uh, significantly better results from the hearing aids that they've got, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, with things like Bluetooth for their phone and stuff. And I was just wondering, is there a resource that you would recommend to that would really sort of uh, explain the differences that are available in technology and in both, I guess, in maybe even surgical types of hearing aids these days? Yeah, so uh, I don't know like a website or a place like that that you can go to off the top of my head. Uh, So ear, nose, and throat doctors are sort of the ones as a stopping off point to get that. Unless you're at, uh, sometimes they'll have, is this person a veteran by any chance? Yes. Oh, great. Okay, so the VA would be the first one I would would contact. And they actually, uh, they're one of the better... Uh, resources that people have. You're right. It's difficult. The newer hearing aids that have the filters and that they connect to the TV directly through Bluetooth or they connect to your phone, uh, that that certainly has uh, helped a lot with people. And you don't have a lot of the other you know problems that you have with feedback mechanisms and all that kind of thing. But the the VA has a lot of good resources there. If you will ask, if they will ask them within the VA, or if you're not going to answer there, you might can contact an ear, nose, and throat doctor uh, or an otolaryngologist is the other name uh, for them. Uh, they have a lot of materials, and there are probably some people that specialize in that. I know uh, we at UMC we have Dr. E B E B Y who is sort of our local expert in that, um, that they would be able to give you some of the options that are out there and probably some other resources. Uh, the National Society of Otolaryngology, uh, that may be another place to sort of as a, um, uh, a branching off point where you could, you know, go on that side and look for, usually most of those sites have something for patients and you can sort of branch off with that. That, was, that would be where I would start. But I will say, I, you know, my experience has been with my patients that do, uh, that are veterans that do go to the VA, that's a good resource for them to go to, and they do a good job of screening them with what would be best uh, for them uh, with the type of hearing aid and with uh, the different uh, resources that they have. Well, that, that's a relief to hear, actually, because that was, that was part of my concern is that uh, if he didn't go in sort of with a, uh, an idea of knowing what was available, especially uh, I hadn't even thought about it. He likes to watch TV and movies a lot, and uh, uh, you know the idea of having Bluetooth for his uh, shows and his his movies would be actually optimal for him. And um, uh, that, but that was just what I was wondering: is how much, sort of how much homework he needed to do before he showed up. Or if they would be a good resource through and through, and and uh, what uh, what he might could do would be to contact them beforehand before he's he's because you know the VA has these uh, they have the uh, different clinics set up for these kinds of things so they'll have like a hearing loss clinic and all kinds of different things. Uh, or they'll have a person that you go to to do that. So he might want to contact the VA, whoever's contact is, whether that's a primary care provider or whoever, and or a patient care representative. That would be another person to ask about. And they might can send you some materials to read before he goes to that clinic. I see. That would be that would be yeah. great. Yes, he's he's scheduled like in February to go. So he's got a little bit of time. So he's got a little bit of time and. Uh, I was going to go with him if he could have gotten it scheduled while while I was in town, but unfortunately, I'm not going to be in town in February. So 
maybe maybe he would be helpful to have somebody to go that's that's that can kind of help commu- communicate a little bit. Yeah, as I, well. yeah, I think that's a great idea. But um, but yeah, and if you can't, if you you know through the medical channels, if you can't get somebody there, I would probably. Uh, go with you know just ask for the patient patient care representative. I believe that's the designation that they have, and they they should be able to get you what you need. Super. Uh, pre- oh, appreciate you, your help. Yeah, absolutely. Hope it all works out for you. That's a that's a certainly something a lot of people deal with as you get older. All right. One last thing, I'd like to talk about a couple of th- different things. Uh, this recently came up with a patient of mine, and uh, it's off the presses a couple of months ago. Um, really, since uh, I was uh, on the air live before. So, uh, my a wife of a patient, I sorry, sorry, a patient whose wife turned sixty-five years old, she received two pneumonia shots, and my my patient said, "Hey, I recently turned sixty-five. Uh, do I get one or two? And actually, it's changed. So. For about the last five years or so, we've been, you know, three to five years, we've been given two shots. So there's a pneumonia shot that helps prevent against pneumococcal disease. So pneumococcus is a bacteria that can cause pneumonia, particularly in those whose immune systems are not totally as uh, competent as other people. That may be if they're getting, you know, chemotherapy or something like that, or it could be the very young and the very old. Well, uh, you know, a decade or more ago, we started giving a, a 13 different serotypes. Those are just like different types of pneumococcus, uh, a vaccine for this to the very young. So we started doing that at two months of age, uh, and that has resulted in that those types of pneumonia of pneumococcus being much lower in the environment. And for a while, we were given both that and the 23 version to those who are over age 65. But now, because of, you know, surveillance of those different types, we're able to uh, not have to give that. So that's a that's certainly something, one less vaccine that you have to get. So we're back to the 23 for 65 and older, unless you're immunocompromised. That's another group that we might want to do that. But just something to keep in mind if you go to your doctor and you're like, wait a minute, this is a little bit different. That's why they're keeping up with what's most relevant. Well, I want to thank everybody for calling in today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. 